everyone. Today's text is going to be coming out of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, on the whole armor of God. Listen carefully, for this is God's word. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me, and in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. If I may, let us take a brief moment of prayer before we begin diving into this text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the resources that you have given to us to uh, be in this spiritual conflict. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put these uh, pieces on and that we would use them effectively for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. Spiritual warfare is not something that we often think about in our time of science and reason. We tend to take a look at everything in the world as just a natural consequence of one thing after another. This particular weekend, we have been focusing on, uh, as a nation, the sanctity of life. We've been reminded about the, uh, the landmark court decision Roe v. Wade. And we can take a look at that and, uh, and assume complete political reasons for why this has happened. And we assume that the only cure for something like this is more legislative action. While we certainly don't want to oppose anything like that, we do want to have uh, laws that we put in place to overturn that, the focus of this passage would be is to look beyond just the natural things that are in front of us. Look beyond the flesh and blood that have put something like that into effect. And to look behind it to spiritual forces that lay behind. We tend not to think that way because that's not how we tend to be informed. We, when we turn on the news and we discuss things with, with our coworkers, we're always looking at the natural. Looking at the things that we can explain. And we don't take a look behind what Paul is doing is he is helping us remember that there is a spiritual conflict that is going on. 
There is a spiritual conflict that we are being called into. And most importantly, that there are resources that we are being given to fight this spiritual battle. So let's take a look at what Paul says. We're just going to go verse by verse as we look through here. And notice how Paul begins when we are talking about a spiritual fight. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The very first thing that we're told to look at in this passage when we see it's like, oh, there's a spiritual conflict. So that means that we rush to our own self-effort, typically. What Paul is saying is like, no. If this is a spiritual conflict, we can't even begin to fight something like that without God's spirit on our side. We can't begin to fight something like that unless we have a relationship with God. Unless we have come to the end of ourselves recognizing there's nothing in ourselves alone that we can contribute to this battle. We can't fight sin if we're still living for it. We can't fight evil's forces if we haven't turned our backs on them. You can't fight a a camp you're still unrepentedly living in. So if we're going to fight this well, we have to fight in God's strength. Now what does that mean? That means to trust in Him. That means to look to God and, and to say, Lord, you are the only one that is going to help me fight this. I can't do this on my own. To be strong in the Lord. And then he gives practical things as to how to do that. He says to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes, plural, of the devil. Evil forces and the devil that is behind them is not a one-trick pony. He does not come at you the same way every time. He does not come at you with a warning, with a neon sign that says evil is approaching. I've heard it said that the devil doesn't look like a creature with hooves and horns and a pitchfork. But instead, evil looks like everything you've ever wanted. Evil looks like everything you've ever wanted. And it promises you these things that you've wanted in ill-gotten ways. He promises you things that would be around the, the ways that God has promoted. So instead, when we're looking for peace in our lives, evil will tell us to throw aside the shackles of the Bible. When we're looking for convenience, evil will send us to a Planned Parenthood facility. When we're looking for riches, it will tell us to steal. These are the schemes of, of, of the devil. He's a very good strategist. He's had a lot of practice. He's been around for a while. So this is the enemy that we're fighting. This is what we're called to fight back against. And then Paul, just to reiterate that, tells us in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is talking about here is most of the time when we think about fighting, when we think about trying to accomplish something or war something, there's usually a name or, or some sort of label attached to it. When we think about the policies of abortion, we typically assign a party to them or we assign a person to them and say, that's the person we need to be against. That's the person that we need to get rid of or so this is the person we need to put in. And what Paul is saying here is we need to look behind that. 
the, one, the forces that are behind this person, the forces that are behind this idea that we war against. But how does that make a difference for us? Why does it make a difference to look instead behind the person to the spiritual forces? Because this is going to change how you approach it. When you have someone that you're arguing with, whether it's a sibling or whether it's a spouse or a coworker or something like that, and you say, the problem is that person. You're going to approach it in a very different way. You're going to take whatever power that you can exert over them and try to force them to change. Instead, when we look at things from the point of view that Paul has, when we look at spiritual forces behind it, this becomes a rescue mission. Your conflict with this person becomes a thing that they need to be saved from. And you're going to approach an errant coworker or a political policy that you disagree with, like, like um, Roe v. Wade, and instead of throwing all of our resources, I'm not saying we don't take some action, but we don't throw all of our resources at just the natural. We spend our time thinking, how can we approach this spiritually? We're going to pray for these people. We're going to witness to these people and bring them the gospel because that's what's going to bring about real heart change. And so Paul lists this out for us. So we know thus far there's a spiritual conflict out there. There's a really smart evil person that's behind it all. And he's been calling us to fight that, not the people that are in front. So how do we do this? What does this look like? It says in verses 13 and 14, to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then it picks up again the next one, to stand. Now I don't know about you, but when I think about conflict, when I think about war, I don't think about standing there. I think about moving around, being active, trying to get around the battlefield as much as I can, in a fury, trying to accomplish the task that's in front of me. Why does he say to stand? This is something that's very key I want us to really understand here. And this is going to change how we approach this fight. It goes from a desperation to an assurance. When he's talking about standing here, this is standing on ground that Christ has already won. When Christ died on the cross, all the power of sin has been broken. Evil forces have been declared defeated. This is, to use, to use a popular analogy, you are seven touchdowns up and you've got a minute left in the game. It's done. But that doesn't mean that we don't send our defense out onto the field. The game isn't over. We're all still here. There's a conflict that's still left for us to fight, but we're standing on ground that Jesus has already won underneath our feet. Victory is assured, people. This is what we are called to do. To stand on his that he's won. Now, evil's not going to take, take a vacation. There is still going to be conflict at that borderline, but they will not win. You're on the winning side. So with that comfort to say, it's like, okay, there is a spiritual battle that we're to fight. We've got a really strong enemy. There's no, no, no underestimating him. But we have a way stronger conquering king on our side who's already won. So now we get to participate in this last little bit of the battle, holding what he has. How do we do that? Let's take a look. 
he lists out kind of the, uh, Paul here lists out the armory, our resources that we have to fight this conflict. And what I'm going to do is as we go through each bit, I'm going to try to show how would this work out in our own lives? How, how, how can we practically apply what we're seeing here? So in verse 14, he says to stand, therefore, on that ground that Christ has already won, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So Paul is starting to move here through these pieces of armor that, he would, that would be recognizable for his day. And all, and all of these things, we can still kind of get that same mental picture that Paul has in mind. So when he talks about this belt of truth, this would have kind of held everything together. All your pieces of armor would have been connected in with this belt. And when he says the belt of truth, that this could be, and, 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 and what I think it is, is truthfulness in all that we do. Putting on this truth and, and doing things, uh, conducting our lives with honesty. This is going to keep us from getting entangled up on the battlefield. If you're going to try to fight spiritual forces, but you don't have integrity. If you don't do the right thing when people aren't watching. Or you're being dishonest in your dealings. You're going to be ineffective in, in your fight. It would be like running out with your full suit of armor. Kind of sliding on and off and around and... You're not going to be able to do a whole lot if everything's always sliding. Putting on that belt of honesty, that belt of integrity, holding everything together. And then putting on this breastplate of righteousness. We know that when we come to faith in Jesus, when we recognize there's nothing that we can offer ourselves, because all we have is, is sin in our own heart, and we come to him and we ask for this righteousness, Christ gives us his. It's putting on this righteousness. And it's also further just those, the, those that are living a life of integrity, those that are doing what, they're, doing what they are supposed to be doing, you are going to be in much more effective on the battlefield. If you run out there and you have none of your vitals taken care of, you're going to get struck. You're going to be ineffective and wounded on the battlefield if we don't have this breastplate of righteousness. We don't have this lived out um, lived out righteousness that Christ gives to us. These practical right doings that he has for us to do. And then in verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What he would be describing here would be basically kind of like what we would understand as cleats today. Would have been shoes that would have had spikes in the bottom of them so that you would be standing firm wherever you are. You're not going to slide around on the battlefield. And when he's talking about the gospel of peace, if we understand that we're standing on ground that Christ has already won, we understand the gospel. We're going to fight from a position of, I know that I'm on sure ground. I'm fighting knowing that my sins are taken care of. Knowing that Jesus is powerful and that he has won. If we didn't have these, this type of understanding, if we were standing on ground that we thought, it's like, oh, well, this battle's up to me i got to get all this thing figured out on, on my own. And I, I can't fight unless I have X, Y, or Z. If none of those things are, 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 are Jesus, I assure you, you're going to be sliding around. If you can only fight effectively when you have a certain amount of money in your bank account, because I'm standing on my financial firmness, or you can only fight when things are going well in your life when everyone's healthy, and that's what you stand on as your final hope, I'm telling you, that's, that's going to slide Anything else that you're standing on other than the gospel is not going to be a foundation that you can fight firmly from. And then in verse 16, 
It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield that Paul likely has in mind would have been something that would have covered basically your shoulders to your knees. It would have been about two feet by four feet. And the type of thing that he's talking about defending, uh, defending against, you can just imagine how horrifying this would be on, on, on a battlefield. They would dip arrows in something that they could light on fire and then could send over to the other side. This would be a very effective combat because you would set basically everything on fire. So you've got not only the arrows to worry about, but also the, the resulting flames. So what they would do is they would take the shield, they would cover it in an animal skin and dip it in water. So this way, once the arrow hit the shield, it would go out. So of course, the shield took care of the, the, uh, the, the sharp bit, and then the water took care of everything else. And I love the image that he has here of this smaller type of shield. Because what would you do in a battlefield with something like that? You would make sure you were pressed in and as much as you could cram behind that shield, you would. Everything that you can possibly, that you have, you would want behind that shield of faith. And what that would look like in our own lives is to say, we don't trust any of our own innate abilities to fight anything. It's always going to be hiding behind the faith in God. A trust in Jesus that he is going to be the one that's going to help repel this temptation. He's going to be the one that's going to protect me in this battle. But if we start looking over the shield and saying, it's like, well, maybe, maybe I don't need this so much. Or this, you know, maybe we consider it weak. Maybe you look at faith as kind of like a crutch. It's like, well, you should be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I can help myself, thank you very much. God helps those who helps themselves. That's in the Bible, right? It's, it's not. But, and we can look to ourselves and saying, like, that's what's going to defend me. You're going to get an arrow to the face. The only way that you're going to be able to defend yourself is with faith in God. And then in verse 17, it says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I like the, um, the complementary nature between the shoes of the gospel of peace, standing firm on that gospel, and then this helmet of salvation. Obviously, your head is very important to protect. It's probably it's the most important organ to protect on the battlefield. And when we take this helmet of salvation, we're recognizing that this gospel, we don't look at the ground and say, it's just like, well, this looks like pretty solid ground. The gospel is something I can stand on. No, the gospel is something that you have personally appropriated. Something that you have personally taken onto yourself and recognizing that Jesus has died for your sins here. All those things that you think is just like, well, if you, if you only knew this about me, you, you would know that I can't be forgiven. I might not know it, but God already does. And he's already opened up the possibility for you to be saved. He's already opened up his arms to you. So come and take that helmet of salvation. Be protected in that battle. And then he lists for us the only offensive weapon. Notice everything here has been defensive. Something you can stand with, something that holds all the armor together, something that protects your chest, something that protects your head, something that protects everything else with the shield. The only thing he's given. And what is it? Is it the sword of self-sufficiency? The sword of wisdom, maybe? The sword of knowledge? 
The sword of power. No. This is the sword of the Spirit, which he explains as the Word of God. This is it. This is all we have. And it's so much more than enough. But we're so quick to forget this when we go into battle. And we're so quick to say, well, God's word doesn't have anything to say about this situation. Maybe it's because we don't know how to use our sword. The sword that Paul has in mind here wouldn't be something like this, this long thing like you would see in Braveheart. No, he's thinking something maybe like this. Almost something you could find for, almost something that you could find in a kitchen drawer. This is something that needs to be used very precisely. You've got to know how to use it very well. It's not to be wildly swung, but to be precisely used. Notice the word that Paul used up earlier when he says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a hand-to-hand combat, people. This isn't launching a heavenly drone strike from the comfort of our own homes. This is something that we need to intimately struggle with. Something that we have to bring our sword in particular to bear. The sword of the Spirit. Then he gets into verse 18. And Paul has dropped the military metaphors at this point. Paul doesn't say anything about the spear of prayer. Or the armband of prayer. Or any other thing that he could have somehow worked in a military metaphor for. But, he, but, but I still think that he takes this. This is something that is still important, even though it's not been, been listed as one of our weapons. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, meaning something that the Spirit would have us to pray. The way we know that is through our scriptures. With all prayer and supplication, means asking. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers, askings, for all saints and also for me, That words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Notice what Paul is asking for prayer here. Because here in the end, in verse 20, he's an ambassador in chains. Paul's in prison. He's writing this letter with a chain dangling around on his arm. I don't know about you, but I know if I was in Paul's position, I would be saying, hey, please pray that I get out of here. Pray that this chain comes off. Pray that I can go back about in my business that that, that I would like to do. What Paul is asking for is boldness to proclaim the gospel wherever he is. It doesn't matter where to Paul. If it's chained to a Roman soldier, well, then you have a literal captive audience. If it's out, in, out freely preaching, to, preaching unto the churches, that's great too. His main emphasis is the gospel. That doesn't mean that we can't pray for the health of our relatives. This doesn't mean that we can't pray for other things that are bothering us in our lives. We should bring everything to God in prayer. But we should always remember that our, that our focus in prayer, we should never forget that this is the gospel that we're praying for. An advancement of the gospel. John Piper has an illustration that too often we use prayer like a hotel intercom asking for more pillows when we should be using it as the military two-way radio asking for cover, asking for resources in the spiritual fight. And I think that may be what Paul has in mind here. It's fighting for this battle. 
Now, I promised that I would explain how this works out practically. All right, so we know we have all these resources. How would I do this when fighting any particular sin? Everybody here will, will, will struggle with different things, but just go ahead and think in your mind for a moment the thing that you struggle with. Perhaps it's misusing of your internet and looking at pornography. Perhaps it's anger or gossip or any other number of things that would take too long to mention here. But when you see this temptation come up, another one of the schemes of the devil to get you to do that. He knows humans well. He knows how to get you into that spot where you're weak in this. What do we do? We can look through this thing and we look at, okay, how can we deal with this? Do we have the truth on our side? Am I, am I looking to see what's true about this situation? Am I being honest? This is a temptation that's coming. This is not just a thing that I was like, well, I've been working hard. I can owe my, you know, I deserve this little indulgence. That's not fighting with truth. That's looking at that anger. That's looking at that lust and saying, this is sin. And then taking the next step and saying, it's like that Christ has bought me. And I'm standing on ground that's been won. This thing doesn't have to have power over me. I don't have to do this sin. I'm standing on ground that Christ has won. I'm standing on the firmness of the gospel. That he's rescued me from this. And standing on that. And then when we see that these, these arrows of temptation that keep coming, temptation's going to get stronger. It's not like it's one no and it's gone. It's going, to be a, it's going to be more schemes, plural, more arrows that come. And to say, Lord, the only thing that I have to fall on is faith in you. I'm not looking at my faith as a crutch. I'm looking at my faith, as one of my pastors said, as my complete life support system. It's the only thing that I can hang on to. Hiding behind this shield of faith, not my own abilities to fight this. And then having our own breastplate of righteousness and saying, it's like, all right, this is something that Christ has given to me. I can, this is something that he has provided. Rely on that. Live that out. Live in this power that Christ has given you to, to, to fight effectively. And then taking that sword as you're wrestling with this temptation, as you're wrestling with this sin, and whatever things that you, that you need, perhaps it's going to be from Matthew 5 that lust is the same as adultery and that God and that is disgusting in God's eyes, and to take that and to plunge that. Or that anger is the same thing as, as, the same thing as, as murder, and with that thing, plunge that into your temptation. Or to say that taking, this, taking of this scripture, that he is not going to bring you any temptation that he has not given you the power to overcome. And plunge that into your temptation and your evil. Are we going to be perfect? No, we're not. That's why we have this helmet of salvation. We know we took an arrow. We lowered our shield of faith for a minute. We still have that helmet. We repent. We come back. We turn from those sins. We get back to the fight. That's what he's called us to do. But again, none of this is possible if we're not drawing our strength from, from, from the Lord. None of this is possible with that. Now you may say, it's like, again, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. But I'm telling you here that Christ's sacrifice is so much greater than any sin that you have. 
we have the Son of God who has come, who lived a life perfectly for you. It would be as if I was showing up in court with a fine that I could not possibly pay. And the judge is about to pass sentence, and then the judge himself gets off the bench and pays my fine. Because he loves me. Because that fine is paid, I can go free. So did anything that I've done? No. It's something what the king has done, what Jesus has done for me. Has paid all of that, taken all of that sin away. Past, present, and future. It's such a huge sacrifice. And that he didn't, after paying this fine with his life, he shows that he is more powerful even than death and was risen again for us. And that if we come to him in faith, that is a total trust, like you would trust a parachute. If you were to jump out of a plane with a parachute, you don't pull the cord and then also start flapping your arms. That's not going to hold you up. It's the parachute. You rest in that parachute. And that's what he calls you here today. If you've never done that, and if you haven't and want to talk about that, please, I would love to talk to you about that. And I know Parker would as well. About joining this side that is going to win. It's joining this side that is going to triumph over evil forces completely. We don't want you to be on the other side of that. We want you to be on the side with Christ. And as we also think into the future, as we look in, as again with our focus of the sanctity of life, we approach that issue the same way with this, approaching honestly with what the situation is, pulling out the truth from God's word to fight it spiritually, and to be praying that one day, as we already have, that one day maybe we can see abortion being completely eradicated from our shores. But I pray that it would start with us. I pray that we would look into the areas where we have conflict Look into the places where we have a fight to lead. And I pray that we would follow after Christ with these weapons that he has given to us completely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for providing for us all of the resources that we need in order to fight this spiritual war. Lord, we thank you that you have conquered it all. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that has won this conflict, and that you invite us to join you, that you, that you have called us from the other side of the battlefield. You've taken us out of the camp of evil and brought us into your camp. Lord, we thank you so much. We, can't, we know that we haven't deserved it. Lord, I ask now that you would, as we go about this week, I ask that you would give us strength and that you would help us to appropriate this wonderful armory that you have given. I pray all these things for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.